there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook, helping you create an earth-friendly environment today. Available on Amazon for just $26.95. It's full of all the lessons from free organic garden course that Mike and I have put together to help you grow your very own organic oasis. Um, whether you just want a landscape or some deep beds, uh, it's a perfect book. Um, it's got all the worksheets and everything to help you be successful and have a lovely organic oasis that you want to live in too. We're based institution, but we're also an education institution. Um, and, and so it's a really unique opportunity to get to conduct science, um, and learn more as much as we can about organic agriculture and, and also to provide that information to the public and to our, our farmers. This is why I love you guys. That was so eloquent and so perfect. And I don't know if I hit record quick enough, but yeah, see, and like, it's so funny because it kind of started this listener in Texas sent me this, um, video i don't know if you've ever seen it on youtube it's called uh gotta love millennials and he sings this no. like bashing <laughs> millennial songs to the beatles obladi obada song obada song d song anyway so i like recorded one with me singing it with all like the great things about millennials and um because he's like oh they just sit around in their yoga pants at the coffee <laughs> shop and yada yada and actually you know what that's really my generation i think that tries to do that i don't know surely none of the money else i talk to or anything remotely like that and then um and then i put like the pictures of the all the kids that I've, I call them kids because my stepdaughters are both millennials who I also mm -hmm. think are rock star moms and millennials <laughs> and hard so hard working and um <clears throat> but um I, I need to like record it properly. Like can't really, like I sing it in my car and my headphones. I like, can't really hear it. And and then also like I found out some of the kids I thought were not actually millennials. And then I've I've added. So anyway, yep, that's that project. But yeah. So anyway, you are a perfect example. So I'll just introduce you and we'll go from there. Awesome. Uh, oh, but yeah. So the funny thing is about this kid from Texas who sends it to me. He's like, Jackie, every time I hear you say rock star millennial, I think of this video. And then afterwards he's like, Oh, I'm a millennial. <laughs> He's so funny. Anyway, and it's so it, it, it's just uh yeah. Anyway, I I am one of the few shows that I guess talks about politics and gardening. But the interesting thing about that is I was going through some old Rodale's magazines. I've been working on this free garden course and like so I was looking for some things from um, back in the like early 2000s and episodes, I was like trying to find uh, a lot of my listeners are curious about like how to get rid of pests organically mm -hmm. that's like a huge question i get a lot and so um i was reading these and like so many letters to the editor like i'm never subscribing to you again you have too much politics and rodale's would always write back well we're sorry you feel that way but we very feel strongly that you know sustainable agriculture and caring for our planet is part of politics and so yeah i absolutely. love that and it's funny because i started my podcast because i always dreamed about being a salesperson for organic gardening magazine like i just wanted everybody to read it i wanted it <laughs> to be in every single store everywhere i went and we used to travel a lot i have like a craft business so we would travel all around at craft shows so i would go into a lot of grocery stores and convenience stores 
in the like all the way down to California. Like I always tell people, I have probably made copies. If you've ever traveled with me, you've probably sat outside of a coffee shop, like in every coffee shop from here to Washington, South to California, over to Arizona and North back to Montana, like in this little Northwest loop. <laughs> and I always wanted to see organic gardening magazine on the in the magazine wraps. Anyway, I'm going to be quiet because my listeners always tell me, <laughs> Jackie, you interrupt and talk too much. My number one critic <laughs> is my mom. Um, but at least she's listening, right? So yeah. uh, today's show is all about you and the amazing project you've got going on. So I'll introduce you and uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. Okay. Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast today. It is Tuesday, March 26, 2019. And I am so excited because not only do I have a rock star millennial on the line, but she works at the Rodale Institute. She is the lead senior lab technician on the Industrial Hemp Project. So here today to talk to us is Tara Keaton. Sorry. (laughs) Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. I mean, already like in the pre-chat, you've already like been so eloquent and just a great, um, you know, talking about education and the opportunity you have going there. So, but before we get into that, like I always ask about your very first gardening experience, like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with? What'd you grow? Like, what, what was your first, was it hemp at the Rodale Institute or like, (laughs) what's your first gardening experience? Yeah, um, so it kind of has been something that's been ingrained in me since I was a child. Uh, I grew up with a pretty large property um, in a wooded area, and we had quite a bit of land that we were always playing with, um, planting different flowers and ornamentals and and just different things. And I just remember, you know, pretty much always being barefoot in the soil and just getting my hands dirty. Um, And so that's my earliest memory. And I would say that you know, as I went into college to pursue a degree um, in the science field, I think I lost sight of that for a little bit. Um, And, you know, as I started to learn more and take courses, uh, it kind of all came back to me and it realized that was, you know, where I really came from. And so uh, when I took my first botany course uh, in my sophomore year of my undergraduate degree, I was totally reconnected with my love of, of plants and the environment. And so I pursued a degree from there, um, at a local university, a Kutztown university, and I got my bachelor's in biology. And, um, I then went on to Bucknell university also in Pennsylvania and, um, pursued a degree in, in botany and got my master's there. And, and so, you know, I had this amazing ability at both institutions to, to play with plants. So I took care of both of the greenhouses there. Um, and it just really reconnected to the memories I had when I was a child. And, and so, you know, from there I had, you know, quite a bit of education in different areas, uh, of botany and agriculture wasn't something that I was super familiar with. Um, but I thought coming back to Kutztown where I got my first degree was a great opportunity, um, and learning more about the Rodale Institute, uh, and really the global impact it has, uh, it really touched on my goal, uh, which is I I don't know what I wanted to do um, when I was in college, but I knew that I wanted to make a difference. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of figuring out how we're going to feed the world as we move forward. Um, and so 
I really believe that working for this institution that not only conducts original solutions-based research in organic agriculture, but it's also um, has this education aspect. So getting to go out there and educate the public um, and, and teach farmers on how to do this and how we can continue to, to farm in this way. And, um, and yeah, so I really feel that I have the opportunity being here. Uh, and it pretty much it came full circle. And, um, you know, agriculture is not something that I had expected. And uh, now I can't imagine anything else. That's so interesting. And I love that on so many fronts, because I always say, like I tell my stepkids and kids, like, you don't have to know what you want to do when you go to college, because you're going to take a bunch of general eds and you're going to meet people sitting next to you that are like, hey, my cousin's sister, so-and-so does exactly what you would love. Like, I took this wildflower um, class, like, on how to, uh, you know, go out in the woods and, like, do a survey of the areas because somebody in one of my class, like, I took the class so I could get the job at the Forest Service. I got the job, and then um, it didn't quite work out. But, like, anyway, because um, I got lost in the woods. <laughs> it just, like, wasn't for me. Like, anyway, it's kind of funny, like, back then, like, anyway, but that's a different story. But I love all this. So what do you educate people about? And, like, do you want to tell, like, so I wrote down this quote from the website. It says, over the course of a four-year trial, we are exploring hemp's powerful potential to heal soil and support farmers. Hemp marijuana's non-psychotropic cousin was grown in Pennsylvania for more than 260 years as a valuable cash crop. So do you want to, I don't know, what do you want to tell us? You said you, you, like, I don't know. I'll let you talk. Yeah. So I always like to start with um, introducing a little bit more about the Rodale Institute for those who do not know, and, and then go on, on how the hemp research fits into that. Perfect. Um, so the Rodale Institute has been around for a long time. We opened our research institution in 1947 and we have a, now a 333-acre research and education farm in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. And um, we conduct solutions-based research uh, on organic agriculture um, and kind of all of the challenges that go along with that and how to combat some of those and, and really to ultimately help farmers transition to organic. Um, and so it's a really great place um, to be because you have that opportunity to conduct research um, and educate the public and spread a global message. And so we have the impact to do that. All right, um, but yes, so our, our founder, J.I. Rodale, um, he st started talking about this idea of regenerative agriculture, regenerative organic agriculture. And he, he put that term out there, um, uh, but didn't quite have the tools to define it. Uh, really the idea around it, you, you, you hear the word sustainable a lot. And sustainable is, you know, is something good to consider, but sustainable means to stay the same. And so really the difference there with regenerative, it, it's, it's to rebuild. Um, and, and so that's something we really need to think about as we move forward with our ever-changing climate. Uh, we don't want to just sustain what we're already doing. We want to be able to rebuild it and make it better. And so that those tools uh, that we work on here is to, is to really accomplish that. And so our, our founder, J.R. O'Dell, in 1947, he wrote on a chalkboard that healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people. And to me, that 
is really the impact of all the research we do. And so we work on making those connections. And we really think that hemp is, is a crop. Uh, it's a, really, it's a new crop uh, because we're missing uh, a pretty large gap in data on, on this crop. Um, it, it was banned uh, over 80 years ago because of its close relationship to the marijuana plant. Um, but we know before then it was a major cash crop um, and it has been grown historically in Pennsylvania uh, specifically um, for over 250 years prior to that ban. And so we really think that this is a new crop that you can bring in to increase diversity in your crop rotation, which is something that we think is, is key in regenerative organic agriculture. Um, it's also something that has the natural ability to suppress weeds, which is a major challenge for organic farmers. Um, and, and it's also, it's a crop that requires less space uh, and less water and, um, you know, less inputs in general uh, than, for example, cotton uh, as a textile crop. And so there is so much potential with this plant, um, not only the agronomic benefits that I just mentioned to you, but we know that there's a huge economic benefit, which is super important um, especially because we're here to serve our farmers. And so we're always looking for new tools that, you know, they can add to their toolbox um, to kind of combat some of the other costs that might be associated uh, with organic farming. And so, you know, we started this study uh, when the Pennsylvania pilot program launched, um, as well as it had in many other states around the time of 2015, 2016, um, you know, I think it was 38 states have currently have pilot programs. Um, and then, of course, hemp coming off the federal listing with the far recent farm bill, um, you know, helped aid that uh, to help farmers start to really to grow hemp again. Um, so in 2017, at the Rodale Institute, we are one of 16 organizations in Pennsylvania to receive a research pilot permit. Um, and we planted hemp uh in the spring of 2017 for the first time in over 80 years. So we're really excited about that, just to get that seed in the ground and, and really see um, where it can grow from there, no pun intended. Um, and so we, we're really excited about this. So, you know, but, but there's a lot to know and, and we're not gonna figure it out. We most certainly have not figured it out in the last two years and, and we still have a lot to do. And so I would say that, you know, by one, Warning or piece of advice is, you know, just because now we have the ability to legally grow this crop, um, let's not forget that we still have a lot to learn um, and we, we still have a lot of work to do and, and you know, questions to answer. And so we're going to continue to build our research and, and try to get some of those answers. Um, so we have currently two trials here at the Rodale Institute. We have a variety trial where we're really just taking the the breeds that are available to us, the seed genetics that are available, um, you know, from other countries that have never stopped growing hemp um, and, and seeing how they grow here, you know, because that's a big question. We knew it used to grow here, um, you know, a long time ago, but since then our soil and climatic conditions have changed drastically. And so we want to be able to take these genetics that weren't bred to grow here and figure out how our environmental conditions uh, impact those varieties and, and, and then eventually work on, um, 
breeding varietals that will suit our soil and climatic conditions here. And so we started with um, some fiber varieties, some seed or grain varieties, and some dual purpose varieties here. We really feel that the industrial hemp um, in comparison to the CBD that you hear a lot about uh, has the great potential to give some of those like, agronomic benefits I mentioned earlier, weed suppression, building soil, um, and, and, and so on. So can I focus- just quickly ask one other, like you maybe are going to talk about this, but like something my husband points out a lot is that like, he thinks a lot of our like people, like we're losing hemp because the animal feed used to have so much hemp seed and like the benefits you got from hemp seed. And then now that the animals aren't like, that's another thing that it would be really good to use for animal feed. Yeah, definitely. uh, Yeah. We, we definitely agree with that. Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of restrictions when it comes to animal feed. So I think it's going to be about getting this crop up and going again. We already know the great potential it has as a superfood um, for us. Uh, and so it's really about getting this information and this re- research and data out there to allow policymakers to approve it as an animal feed. And and so we're not there yet. And, and I'm hoping with some of the work that uh, us, along with many other institutions across the country, uh, can provide that information um, and, and allow it to be a feed uh, for animals. And And so I think it's just continuing this type of research so that we can uh, get there, especially if you know, you are looking, if you have a a animal production system, um, you're going to want to have it as an approved feed for your animals. Um, So, yeah, so we're really, you know, continuing our research here on that. And um, our second trial that kind of fits into our second trial here, where we're looking at the use of hemp incorporated into an organic grain rotation as a cover crop and a cash crop simultaneously. So for those who aren't familiar uh, with cover cropping, um, it's just, it's a crop in between your cash crops to keep vegetation on the soil at all times to hold on to that soil organic matter. And so uh, another comparison to hemp uh, in in terms of when it grows and how it grows would be sorghum sudan grass and and that's a cover crop that's used as usually a summer cover crop um, before you get your small grains in to you know keep uh, vegetation on the soil suppress weeds and and hold on to that soil organic matter Um, and so we planted hemp in 2017 uh, next to sorghum sudan grass as a comparison Um, and, uh, that was in the first year of our rotation. And we followed that up with a rye cover crop, which we then rolled down and we planted our cash crop, which was soybeans this past year, uh, into that rolled down mulch layer. Um, you know, uh, the, the, if you're not familiar with the roll down system, a roller crimper, it was really, uh, invented here at the Rota Institute by our chief executive. And so, that's a tool that is used to reduce plowing or tillage in your field. And so that's something that is also beneficial to soil health, because as I mentioned before, um, our mission really starts with soil health. And so everything we do, um, that's the foundation of it. Uh, 
I was just going to say really quick, I'm so glad we did this because like I read through all the data that you had there and I was like, why mm-hmm. are they planting soybeans? And like, because of course, does it ever occur to me? Oh, you're trying to get a cash crop. So that yeah. makes so much sense now. The soybeans are the cash crop. Cool. And I just interviewed, um, and maybe you'll talk to him too, Jesse Frost, who has, he just started a new podcast called the No-Till Farmers Podcast. And he was talking a lot about all of these and kind of explaining that crimper system. So, but it's always good to have more people talk about it and just uh, keep going. You're doing wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, This is awesome. Uh, And so not only does incorporating hemp into that rotation that we kind of already have set um, based on information that we have from our farming systems trial, which is over 40 years of data of a side-by-side organic conventional grain cropping system. Um, it's the largest and longest running in North America. And so we have 40 years of data that show the type of rotation that could work in organic agriculture. Um, and so hemp is really, it's just another crop to plug in there. Um, and, and, and what's awesome about it is it duels as a cover crop and a cash crop because most cover crops don't have a high economic value, uh, but we know that hemp does. Uh, it's, it's of high value and it has over 25,000 uses. Um, and so Uh, You know, it's adding another crop that has value, but it's also suppressing weeds and enhancing the soil for that next cash crop. Um, So it could be soybeans, uh, corn, wheat, uh, which is what we currently have in our field now. And so I I mentioned increasing crop diversity and building soil and weed suppression. Do you want to talk about like some of the uses? Like I've been seeing all over face. Like you have no idea how frustrating this is because in 1993, I used to have a hemp business. Like we actually made hemp overalls. And now like I see Patagonia is making hemp overalls and Levi's is selling hemp jeans. And like, do you want to talk about like, I know all those uses, but maybe listeners don't. Yeah, sure. I mean, unless you had something else, I don't want to interrupt if you have like kind of like a. Okay. I I know I have, um, what do you call it? Like an outline. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we're using hemp to incorporate into our rotation to increase crop diversity, build soil health, suppress weeds. Um, but one other thing that we're hopeful it can do is uh, reduce tillage. Um, and so I, I introduced that idea before, but I don't know if I specifically mentioned how hemp can do that. No, uh, I, I, if you did, I missed it. Okay, great. Uh, so with hemp, uh, as I said, it, it just, it grows so fast. So just kind of to give you a visual, uh, we planted it, um, at the end of May and within three days it was germinated. And by the end, that was in the beginning of the week. And by the end of the week, it it was knee height and within 15 days it was hip height. I mean, it's unbelievable how fast this plant grows. And so because of that, uh, you know, ability for it to get up and out of the ground, uh, it shades out a lot of those early weeds, which I mentioned weed pressure is is a huge struggle for organic farmers. And, and so usually what comes along with that, with that increased weed pressure, is an increase in tillage or plowing in the field to kind of uh, kill out those weeds. And so we think because of hemp's ability to suppress these weeds, we can reduce this tillage. And so that's, that's another benefit to the soil health, the, both the physical and biological soil health. Um, if you don't have to go in there and turn that soil over, you're maintaining that organic layer where it stands. Um, and, and that's something that's really important to us. 
Um, and so we saw great success with this. Um, in our first year, as I said, we planted hemp um, and followed that up with a rye cover crop um, and then and followed that with a no-till soybean planting system. One thing I didn't mention is that normally here we practice rotational no-till. Um, so even though we usually try to no-till plant our cash crop, we usually have to till before planting our cover crop because you really want that good establishment, that good seed to soil contact of your cover crop to get the benefits of a cover crop, which is a full cover, um, you know, of your soil. And so we were hoping with hemp uh, going in before our cover crop, um, our winter cover crop, that we could actually eliminate this round of tillage. And so we did that. Um, we split our field in half and we followed our normal rotational no-till system where we plowed before planting our rye winter cover crop. Uh, and the other half, we didn't. Um, we just mowed it off and directly um, drilled the rye into that hemp stubble. Um, and, and we were really pleased with the results. Um, so as I said, the following year, we then had soybeans. And so we really wanted to look at the impact uh, that weed pressure could have on that on that major cash crop, and and so, um, you know, we had a particularly wet year here um, in the East Coast. Um, you know, our average of rainfall is is less than 20 inches, and and we had uh, over 70. So we really saw an impact on our crops. Many farmers lost out completely. Complete destruction of, of entire fields of crops, um, mostly corn and soybean in this area. Um, and, and we did not see that in our field that hemp uh, was planted the year prior. And there could be many factors to that, um, but we did compare it to other soybean fields on our farm, uh, which have very similar soil conditions. Um, and and we, we really saw an increase in yields. The national average for soybean grain this past year was 52 bushels per acre published by the USDA. Um, we were seeing above 70 bushels per acre. And so, and that was in the fields. Holy where cow. Fields. That's huge. That's almost like, you know, if you split 15, 50 in half, that's 25 and you're adding almost another 20. That's like, I don't know, percentages kind of, I've always been a struggle, but it sounds like 150% to me. Yeah. Huge. So we we're really excited about it. And not only did we see, um, those, uh, you know, pretty amazing yields, uh, we also saw a reduction in weed pressure. And so um, some of our major problem weeds here are ragweed, pigweed, lamb's quarter. Um, and, you know, they're huge agricultural nuisances and, and they really uh, get in the way of, of equipment and um, they get bound up in your equipment and they um, really contaminate your sample. Um, and so, Within the first year when we were growing hemp, we saw a great reduction in these weeds in the plots where we had the hemp or the sorghum. Uh, but the second year, we saw a complete elimination of these weeds. And so uh, we, you know, obviously this is a scientific research study. We do have randomized replicates. Um, but as a researcher, when something goes really well, you want to do it again just to make sure. Um, so we are going to repeat this study again this this year. Um, and start again with the hemp um, because we really 
you know, are impressed and, and excited about these results, but we definitely want to um, make sure it has repeatability. And, and, and so I'm definitely not um, confirming that hemp has the ability to completely eliminate weeds, um, but we definitely are feeling hopeful uh, about the results that we saw. And so we're going to continue that work and continue to uh, replicate this uh, rotation that we have going um, across our farm. Um, and then, and hopefully other farms as well to kind of compare with diff in different soil um, conditions as well. And, and so that's, that's our second trial. Um, and then our third trial, which will get a little bit more at looking at the market of hemp um, is what we're starting this year. And so that trial is a nutrient management trial. So there's still many questions with hemp as to what it needs in terms of fertility, uh, what what does it need in the soil? What does it take out of the soil? Uh, and, and so those are all important questions because, you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we are interested in this crop, but we want to make sure um, it's, you know, not hurting the soil in any way. And, and if it is, how can we kind of work with that uh, in an organic system um, to kind of combat some of those things that you have um, when, when you're growing a crop? Can I ask you a question? Because yeah, this is sure. where I get kind of confused with cover crops. So, <clears throat> sorry. So the hemp you said you can use like both for fiber and as the cover crop, and then you're planting the soybeans, but like what's rye for? Like making rye bread, like feeding animals, like how come that doesn't get to be a crop and just gets turned back into the soil? Yeah. So um, that's kind of the, uh, you know, cost-benefit analysis of a cover crop, you're going to want to plant something that doesn't have a huge seed cost um, that's going to provide that cover for you uh, um, and ultimately something that is rather low value. So, you know, when we plant our rye as a cover crop, we're not allowing it to go to seed. So you're not selling it for a product. Um, like you said, you're using it as something to turn back into the soil um, or to use as that mulch layer for your next cash crop. And, and so... Um, you know, that's where hemp really is kind of an unusual cover crop in that it has a high cost, but we know that there's also, um, you know, that, that higher value at the end of it. And so really the cover crop, you know, it's less about, it's not thinking about that economic value. It's, it's the agronomic benefit that it has in, in incorporating it into your rotation, uh, to kind of keep cover on the ground at all times, especially over the winter when you, when you get all that precipitation, it's a growing material that's going to hold on to that soil organic matter, which is, which is really important, um, you know, to prevent things like erosion uh, and, and, and runoff. So. I guess I still don't get it. So rye would only grow for the seeds if you were going to get anything out of it, like soybeans, I guess you grow for the beans, hemp, your, but uh, I guess, so that's the only uses for rye is the seeds. Is that why? Is that what they make rye flour out of? Is that what you do with rye, right? Like I'm thinking rye bread. Yeah. Or is it yeah. like you put yeah, seeds so. in regular flour to make rye bread? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rye Got is it. a, rye is a small grain crop like wheat and oats. And so you're harvesting the small grains out of it. Um, you know, but for us, because it's really, it's just, it's a pretty low value crop. Um, and, but it, it is really great as a cover crop. Um, and so that's, that's what we use it uh, for here on the farm. 
And uh, you know what? I have talked to a lot of people and just that question has been bugging me. So I don't know why I picked you to ask, but um, anyway. Okay. So then, uh, so what are kind of the mark? Is, is that like oh, market yeah. of hemp? Because, and then, uh, you know, of course, like, where are you getting your seeds? Because that's such a, um, you know, a challenge since we haven't been growing in here. Where do you get seeds, Canada? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, kind of, you know, for uh, adding on to the nutrient management trial that I was describing, uh, it's really looking about at organic options to um, increase the nutrients within your crop. And so that's really going to play into the marketability of your crop and and what type of, of market um, that you are going to take your product into. And so really that is if you're a farmer or, you know, a small farmer or a large farmer, whatever you have, backyard gardener, and you have an interest in growing hemp, the first thing that you need to do um, is ask yourself, what is the intended market that you want to go into? Is it fiber for textiles? Um, is it the uh, food? So are you going to grow grain? Um, or are you interested in CBD? Uh and so those are three very different markets and you would be growing the plant in three very different ways, depending on that intended use, that intended end use. And so that's a really important question to ask yourself is, is what are your intentions? And also what is, you know, what are your resources? What, what do you have to start with? Um, and so, like I said, we are focusing on the fiber varieties because of their ability to grow so tall and so quickly um, and because they're planted much more tightly together. Um, so that's really what is helping with the weed suppression aspect uh, of, of the hemp fiber crop. Um, the seed varieties, you would space out a little bit more um, to allow you know, a little bit of a greater seed production um, that requires specialized harvesting equipment to harvest those seed heads off. Um, there's dual purpose varieties, which you can get both a fiber and a seed out of one crop. But again, that's, that requires special harvesting machinery um, that's still being developed. And, and at this point is, is really costly and it's not quite accessible um, in America yet. So um and then, and then your third option is is the CBD varieties that you know are very. Um, I was just going to ask that because the CBD it seems like um, is more like bushier, more like a mm -hmm. pot plant than the stalks that grow for the fiber for paper and clothing and textiles, like you were saying. Um, yeah, is like straight up, and then it just kind of has like the leaves on the top, right? Yeah, so your fiber and seed crops, you're going to grow them like you would grain crops. Um, you can even plant them as you would a grain crop. So you're growing them tight, you're growing um, straight and tall, uh, you know, not, not a whole lot of um, vegetation. Uh, and um, sometimes with seeds, you, you would plant, space them out a little bit more to allow some branching. Um, and then for your, so you're going to picture that like a grain crop. Like if you drive by a field with wheat or, or corn, um, you know, that's kind of what those industrial varieties would look like. Now your CBD, um, picture more like growing tomatoes. Uh, you may want to consider growing it on raised beds, starting them indoors, doing transplants, potentially growing on black plastic. All of those options, um, is what you'd want for CBD because you're putting in a higher investment. Uh, the seed cost, um, 
is, you know, pretty high between one to five dollars a seed. Uh, whereas your industrial varieties are one to five dollars a pound. Um, so you're, you know, you're putting in this higher investment. And so you're going to each plant, you're going to take careful, you know, care of. Um, so, you know, that's a completely different system and different setup. And it, it is a great option for um, backyard gardeners who have just a few raised beds uh, because, you you know, you have the ability to track each and every individual plant. And so that's really important uh, for the CBD because of that, that cost that you're putting in. Um, but they, they do have kind of a greater return on the end, but you have to be able to put in the labor um, and the time uh, to monitor that crop. Whereas the industrial varieties are great. You plant them, uh, you come back, you know, 80 to 115 days later and you harvest and that's it. Um, whereas the CBD, you have to really take your time and, and remove any males that pop up. You have to monitor them. And, and so it's a lot more um, time consuming and labor intensive, but it, it is an option if you only have, um, you know, a smaller area. And that I was going to mention that since you mentioned the males, like that's a big difference between people who are like growing cannabis to smoke like if they like want the thc brand they are not going to want any seeds anywhere near their crop and so like mm -hmm. i hate that argument that oh we can't grow hub in montana because the cops can't recognize it people are going to police themselves as far as i'm concerned because no grower is going to let you have any kind of hemp or any kind of seeds near their cannabis cash crop right because and that's uh, like the kind of what you're talking about the cbd i didn't realize it couldn't have those seeds either yeah um, absolutely yeah it's um the cbd is is very similar to um you know the growing of, of marijuana and so um you know it, it's it's definitely a higher cost and there is a higher benefit um but yeah definitely also considering the genetics uh the genetics for cbd do stem from the genetics uh, from marijuana um, and the medical marijuana industry. And so, um, you know, they just happen to have lower THC levels. So that 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 legal limit of 0.3 percent, um, you know, breaks the line between what is uh, hemp and, and what is marijuana. So, um, you know, so that that's something to consider. Uh, there's also a higher risk with that. With those CBD varieties having similar genetics to the marijuana, they're there is the likelihood that your THC content will be above the legal limit. And in that case, that requires destruction of the crop. And so that is definitely a risk that you would have to consider um, because CBD and THC kind of work together in the plant. So they're just two molecules of the over 500 molecules in cannabis plants. Um, and really, they they kind of go together. So if your, your CBD is increasing, your THC is also increasing. Um, and so and then also considering proximity, you definitely, you know, as someone who's investing a lot of money into marijuana industry or CBD, you definitely want to make sure that there is a, a great distance between some of those industrial varieties where there are males present in the field. Um, and they haven't, we haven't quite figured out that perfect distance yet. Uh, right now, the suggestion is three miles. I feel like it should be a lot more than that, knowing what I know about pollen. Um, and pollinators, we know bees can <laughs> fly miles and miles and miles. So, um, you know, I think this is all, all things we will learn as we continue. But I don't think it should become 
uh, really a battle between the medical marijuana or CBD growers and the industrial growers because there, there's a great, great demand for both. Um, so, you know, I don't, I think, well, I think actually it's encouraging, especially the part that you're saying that like you have like this actual number 0.03% because I think a lot of like, there's been, you know, people tried to grow hemp, um, for years in this country, you know, and we've gone back and forth, oh, it's legal now. It's not legal now. And then the DEA has gone in and swooped down and taken crops out, like, especially on native American places where they've, um, you know, grown it and tried to get a crop. And then the DEA swoops in right at the end of the year and says, oh, we're taking this because, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so now if they have like an actual thing where they could level, like, cause I know, cause there's, there was like some big bust in Idaho and they said, no, that's our hemp for CBD. And we like, we like, we were like, who would transplant, transport these plants anyway? And it was like some company in Denver trying to get their, I can't remember if it was coming out of Canada where the hemp plants were coming from, but they got stopped this big truck in Idaho and the CBD place was like suing. They're like, no, we want our hemp. And so it's nice to see that there's like things that the conversation's changing. People are finally starting to see all these benefits and also like coming up with these, you know, like scientific, like we can finally study it maybe a little bit. Yeah. And I think one thing to keep in mind that is really important is that even though it is off the federal listing and is no longer under the jurisdiction of the DEA, it is still under state regulation. So you still require a growing permit from your state government, um, no matter no matter where you are. I, I don't know um, of any states that it doesn't work that way. Um, so there are specific guidelines and programs and fees and things that you have to go through, uh, you know, specific to your individual state that you're growing in. Um, and so that's something definitely to keep in mind, even though it was it, it came off the federal listing and you do have that 0.3% number to work with, um, you still have to have a permit from your state. Okay, I'm just going to have one more super quick thing. So, like, I haven't released it, but I just did an interview with this guy, Bob Quinn, who is a farmer here in Montana. And, like, his biggest thing to say about hemp was make sure you have a market because I guess they just grew um, a test plot and then they didn't quite have their market lined out. And so he was mm -hmm. having challenges with that. But I was surprised because we actually have a big CBD player um, plant, whatever, like, he makes it here in our town in Eureka. And they, he was telling me last summer, they ran out of product from Canada. Um, and so they actually bought land on the east side and were like producing their very first crop of hemp. But it was the same thing Bob was telling me that you were saying he had grown the stocks for, um, I think, for textiles and the CBD was different. He didn't, I don't know. But anyway, and then the last thing I just want to add super quick is like, it's so funny to hear all these people talking to me about the great powers of CBD oil. Like, um, I don't know. I just feel it. I'm like, seriously, is one more person going to tell me about that this year? <laughs> yeah, well, so I think I think there's some couple a uh, couple interesting things to think about. Cool. And, and, and so I mentioned that, you know, depending on your resources, I, I'm definitely not taking CBD off the table, um, but I think you have to look at the, the long term um, or really the sustainability of this industry. Um, and right now, CBD is growing so quickly and it, it's so hot right now that the production um, needs are going to be met by the uh, demand. They're going to the equal out and the, and the price is going to greatly reduce. And so you're not going to be able to get that profit. 
um, uh, very, it's going to, it's going to happen pretty quickly. And we're already seeing it going towards that trend because the, the demand is very high, but the production is, is meeting up with that. Um, and, and so what we are lacking is the production for the industrial hemp. And so I think if you want to look more at a, a long-term goal to keep this industry going and not just be a quick hot thing for a couple of years, um, we really need to consider all uses of this plant. Um, and, and so that's what we're working on here. Um, yeah, so I think... Awesome. That, well, that's good that, to hear. Yeah, and also you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about the great benefits of CBD, um, which, which, which is true, but it's also really interesting. CBD is only, like I said, one molecule out of the 500 in cannabis plants. Um, and so there's research out there happening. Um, I know there, you know, I think locally, uh, Penn State Medical is working on that as well. And, and actually, it wasn't the CBD that killed the cancer cells. It was other molecules in the cannabis plant. And so, yes, it's great potential, but it's hemp as a whole. Like I said, there's 499 other molecules besides CBD, um, if not more, that contribute to these health benefits that are being marketed with CBD. Um, so I think that's something to consider as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing we need... Because uh, just this morning, there was like on the news again, like Colorado's the emergency rooms are seeing more people from edible marijuana than um, it's like 10% or 30% or something like some crazy number of their emergency room visits. And like, that's where I feel like there's no regulation. Nobody knows what they're putting in these baked goods. And then they also said part of it is like people are overdosing because it like it takes a long time to come in and then. They like, you know, think it's not working. So they eat two cookies instead of like a half a cookie or whatever the heck that they're doing. And I just feel like it's because it is the wild west. Um, mm -hmm. And so I know it's a little off topic, but I, it's just something I'm super passionate about because uh, for so many reasons, I just feel like, you know, I just feel like it, it, it is such an essential thing for our soil, the health of our soil. And just uh, I really want to be able to you know, put me hemp seed salad oil. But I, I think the interesting thing for my listeners, like, is that this can be a cover crop. Like last year, my mom was arguing me. She's like, no backyard gardener is going to grow a cover crop. But I grew a cover crop of buckwheat. And just like, mm -hmm. I think this is great. And then, like you said, it grows so fast. It germinates. Like it, it, it's something that you can put in because like when Liz Carlisle wrote her book about the lentil underground and she was, um, you know, studying, if we know these are best practices to rotate crops and use cover crops, why aren't we using them? And she found out that a lot of it had to do with like banks and farmers not being able to like the bank was not going to like, you know, help them if they were going to put a cover crop in and not get a cash crop. But this is going to allow them to put the cover crop in, build their soil and still get a cash crop and, Maybe the same year. I don't know. I guess you guys are doing soybeans in your second year, or it's within a year, right? You're still getting a soybean crop within one year. Um, no? no. So it was the uh, the hemp. Um, just the way we started this rotation. It, it really hemp can fit in. Um, in our rotation, it could either um, replace that um, summer if you have a summer suppression weed suppression crop like sorghum sedan grass. Um, it can also replace oats, um, which, you know, are the value of oats have dropped as well. Um, 
and or it can be compared to corn so it can also replace corn in your rotation as well um, so it can fit in in a few places but just in our study in the first year where we put it in um, in that first year uh, our crops were sorghum and hemp in that first summer so we they grew from may to august um, and so uh, that really just allowed us to one thing with cover cropping is timing um, so you have to get them in in time before winter hits uh, to get established um, so that they provide that cover for you in the spring. Um, and so because of the short season of hemp, it allows you to get that crop out of there in time to get your cover crops in on time, which is very important. And it ultimately benefits your cash crop the following year, which which um, for us was soybeans, uh, because that timing was perfect. You know, another person I just interviewed was Andrew Mefford, who writes that um, he's the editor of, uh, what's it called? Market, the Market Farmer Magazine. Anyway, um, but he just wrote a book also on no-till farming, and that was definitely a key. He interviews like 17 farmers, I think, and like they all seem to talk about getting that cover crop in on time, you know, making yeah. sure you hit that window just seemed essential. Like even though they all had all these different systems and they were doing different things, um the one thing that I really noticed because he sent me a preview book was that timing seemed essential. So yeah. now this is my question about oats is especially I just saw on Facebook this morning, like there's a meme that says 100% of oats in the country is testing positive to glyphosate. Like I would think there would be a fairly decent sized market for oats for organic oats. No. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I could speak a whole lot on that. Um, I mean, oats is definitely something we include in our rotation and, um, you know, there's definitely people out there. It's, it's the demand for it. Um, really it isn't that high. I mean, it, we're really in a system here where it's corn and soy and corn and soy and corn and soy and everything else kind of gets, uh, I don't want to say ignored, but, uh, you know, we don't talk a whole lot about, about the small grain crops here. Um, and, uh, but I think it's important to start talking about them, especially in an organic system, uh, where there's a lack of production of some of those crops. Um, and also because of our production of corn and soy greatly exceeds the demand. So we have so much excess of corn and soy, um, and the prices are so low. Um, I, I think we really should start looking into other options, whether it be other, other crops um, or, or hemp, in, in my opinion. Cool. Well, we've been talking for a while. Like, what else did you want to share? Is there anything we've missed or? Um, I don't think so. I'm just, do you have any specific questions? I know you said that you had interest in, um, you know, growing hemp for, you know, animal feed or, you know, potentially animal bedding or cover cropping. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any questions, you know, about your region. I, I'm kind of looking up your, your weather uh, climate data to see, um, you know, do you, do you have uh, resources um, or do you know people growing in your area um, or what, what type of information might you need to, to kind of get started? Well, so we, my husband and I, we have like, you know, our regular garden. And then he has what I call like the mini farm. And then we also have like this five acre meadow we've always dreamed of planting. Um, 
And of course, I dream of having it filled with sunflowers to grow birdseed. But, you know, maybe that could be a rotation. Like one year it's sunflowers, one year it's hemp, one year. But like the big things, like Mike would like to be able to grow our own. Like he would, he bakes a lot of wheat, uh, a lot of our bread. So he wants like something we can use for like, you know, to bake bread, like flour. He wants like some kind of chicken feed. And like, even like as a cover crop in some of my beds, especially here in Montana, where we have really, really cold winters like maybe that would be a great fall crop to put in for us that could I don't know I just like you know I'm just so curious like how can we use it at our and then eventually like I don't like I've never thought like I could grow enough hemp for me to actually press seeds but maybe that would a five acre meadow or maybe it's only like three acres once you like take out like the there's still like forest land around it yeah so I think that, you know, there. Oh, yeah, there Mike are... just, sorry. Mike said, and we want to build a house out of hempcrete someday. Oh, awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I think, you you know, you definitely have options there. Um, I'm looking here. It looks like, uh, you know, I think you're just a few months, uh, maybe a month behind us in terms of, of your, you know, key planting season. Um, so it, it looks like, uh, June is, is the time where you get your most of your precipitation, which would be critical. Um, the first couple weeks of hemp. So hemp likes soil that has high organic matter. It, it needs a lot of nitrogen. Um, so we, we use our, we apply our own compost that we make here on site. Um, or you can use chicken litter as well. Um, and, and so that could be a nice recycling system for you if you would like to then use it to feed your chickens. Um, but you know, so the first few weeks of the critical stage of hemp, and, and really that's the only time where it really needs to to have sufficient water. Um, and so you'd really want to time that with, with your precipitation um, in your area. Also, um, the, the day length. So depending on the different crop you're growing, uh, you know, you have to look at your different day lengths. So it, it looks here like it, it still would fit as a mid to late summer uh, crop for you, um, uh, in Montana. So, um, you know, I think thinking about your different options and maybe in your, your garden area that you have going on, you could consider doing some type of CBD operation where you could press it, um, or just a hemp oil operation, uh, you know, that requires space to dry the plants, um, and, and kind of figuring out uh, a buyer or a processor to press it. And I think there's um, more of, there's definitely more processing available for the CBD market at this time. Um, if you're thinking to grow for grain to, you know, feed your animals, or, um, you know, that's, that's a great option for you. If, you know, you're just trying to sustain your, your little, um, you know, garden or whatever you have going uh, I think also considering dual purpose varieties where you can get some grain to feed them, but you could also use the stock to make animal bedding as well. Um, so those are a lot of options there. And, and one thing that's great about hemp is you don't need a lot of acreage, uh, really. It, it requires a little space, a uh, little uh, irrigation, and um, really uh, very few inputs other than um, if you're growing for industrial, uh, heavy nitrogen source. If you're growing for CBD, you're going to want that heavier phosphorus source. Um, and so those are all things to think about and you can, you know, kind of accomplish those in different ways. Uh, but I definitely think even with the space you have, there's a lot of option, especially with that plot you mentioned that is kind of in meadow. It's an area that 
you know, has been sitting a while, there, there may be a weed pressure there, um, or you don't really know what's happening with the soil. Hemp is also, um, a, is used to, um, kind of heal the soil. So it, it pulls out heavy metals. Did you or, know it's full of spotted knapweed? Like that is a huge problem we have down there. Wow. That's a good point. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it could be, if you're, even if you're just looking to kind of take that little plot and, and turn it into something, you know, trying to get rid of those weeds before you get some of those other cash crops in there that are very sensitive to weeds. Um, you know, it, it could be an option for you. And, and even if you're just using it to sustain the animals and things that you have on, on your, your farm alone, uh, I think that could be a great system for you. Um, if you're looking to kind of get this crop that has so many uses and, and really you could get multiple uses for you out of one plant. Um, and then also if you're, if you're looking to kind of maintain all of that, um, if you have the ability, uh, for the initial startup, uh, CBD is, is a good option to help, um, in, in a small amount to help kind of, I would say fund all of that, you know, there is specialized equipment required for, for seed collection, as I said, or if you're doing a small enough area at this time, hand harvest is still something that is happening. Um, you know, if you're just, a factor. yeah, especially for, for CBD, especially, um, you know, hand harvesting is still the preferred method. Uh, there's thought as to how the different harvesting equipment is actually destroying the, the plants in a way that, um, you're reducing that ultimate, the, the total concentration of CBD you might be able to get out of the plant. Uh, and so, um, I know there is a farm right down the road. It's a small, uh, vegetable, mixed vegetable, you know, farm where they have a small CSA and they have a few animals and, and they started in our pilot program as well. And they're only growing one acre, um, of CBD and, and that worked well for them. Um, they also have a few greenhouses, so they're actually starting a, uh, a cloning operation where um, because we really need availability of, of local genetics. And so uh, that's another option for backyarders, especially if you have high tunnels or greenhouses. Um, that's another market that you can go into, which is the seed or clone production. Because it's not easy to get clones started, right? No. And, and there's definitely it's much more highly regulated out of a lot of the options you have for the hemp industry at this time, um, you know, obviously for, for producing seed, you know, you have to produce certified seed and there's a lot of regulations that go along with that. Um, and clones, you know, obviously a lot of companies, uh, you know, Canadian or European companies that have these genetics, um, you know, are protective of that. So figuring out, you know, it, it's really dependent on each state and their guidelines, um, but figuring out how to go about doing that. But I think it's really important that we start to build, this uh, domestic seed source or, or clone source uh, for genetics that work here. Um, and so that is definitely another market that, uh, you know, we really just don't talk a lot about. Um, and, and it's something that I know in it's, high, just, it's in high demand as well. It's just um, so anyway, where do we go from here? Uh, I don't know if you have any more questions for me about specifically about um, our research or the market of hemp or, I mean, I think we covered a lot. Uh, I think we you did. have a lot of information to work sure. with. Um, I don't know if you have any more questions specifically on Rodale or me or anything. Uh, 
Well, I will see if maybe you can connect me with those gardeners down the road, um, mm-hmm. personally. But uh, so, they're like, also mille- by the way, they're mi- millennials as well. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> I kind of have like this thing. It's like kind of I don't know, and maybe we could just skip it. But like, I ask questions. Like, it's kind of like a lightning round on other pod. Are you a podcast? Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah. Um, like, uh, like, do you have a favorite activity to do in the garden? Actually, I usually start out with what's your least favorite activity to do in the garden? Like, is there something (laughs) that you got to kind of force yourself to get out there and do? Yeah, I would say weeding is my least favorite activity. (laughs) And then on the flip side, what's your favorite activity? Uh, watching, uh, watching the plants go grow, starting from a seed, and turning it into something that is then being prepared in my kitchen, I think uh, watching that process um, of the plants grow Excellent. into something. How about something. what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Cover cropping. Perfect. How about do you have a favorite tool that you like to use? Like if you had to move and can only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Uh, my horseshoe hoe. Ooh. Uh, what's your favorite recipe you like to eat from the garden? Pickles. Ooh, nice. Uh, how about a favorite internet resource? Like, where do you find yourself surfing on the web? Hmm, the Rodale Institute website. Excellent. How about a favorite reading material, like a book or a magazine, a blog, something? Um, I love it. <laughs> super nerdy but i love to look through seed catalogs my favorite is johnny's uh you're not the first one to say that lots of people <laughs> say that on my show well how about like do you have any business advice to give listeners like on how they could get started in the hemp industry i mean you've kind of given us a lot but like i don't know you're pretty good at this lightning round short stuff yeah i would say <laughs> i would say have an intended market and prepare a buyer and make sure to follow your state's permit requirements Excellent. Okay, here's my final question. It's kind of a doozy. Ready, Tara? Uh If there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Education. And and I'm definitely seeing that a lot with hemp. The importance of education and talking about the differences um, you know, especially between marijuana and hemp, but, uh, really as a whole, uh, to kind of make a greener world, it's all about education and making sure to get the right information out there. Um, and so we don't just read something that we see on social media and believe it. Excellent. Okay. Well, do you want to tell listeners how to find out about the hemp trial and connect with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Obviously, if you're locally, we would love to see you. We're uh, a public institution. We're we're a pri- privately uh, f- funded institution, but we're open to the public, um, and we, uh, you know, love having visitors. We have uh, about fifty thousand visitors a year. We have several events and workshops. We also are starting a webinar series on our website at rodaleinstitute.org. Um, our amazing communications team just redid the website, and it's super interactive. Uh, there's a whole research tab where you can learn about our different trials. Um, and there's also updated, specifically about hemp, um, updated preliminary results on the hemp trials at the Rodale Institute.org. 
Kara, I cannot thank you enough for sharing with us today. You have a wonderful day and you too. Uh, keep growing. Thank you. It was great to talk with you. Thank you so much. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook, helping you create an earth-friendly environment today. Available on Amazon for just $26.95. It's full of all the lessons from Free Organic Garden Course that Mike and I have put together to help you grow your very own organic oasis. Um, whether you just want a landscape or some deep beds, uh, it's a perfect book. Um, it's got all the worksheets and everything to help you be successful and have a lovely organic oasis that you want to live in too. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.